This podcast is a presentation of UCTV.TV, University of California Television. Like what you learn? Help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in iTunes. Well, it's a real pleasure for me to have the opportunity to introduce our next speaker, Senator Ed Hernandez. Uh, Senator Hernandez uh, is a, a trained and educated optometrist who has dedicated a significant portion of his career, his public career, to uh, advancing the needs of medically underserved uh, populations. Uh, he spent the four years from 2006 to 2010 uh, as, uh, in the California Assembly. Since then, has been in the Senate, where he heads the Senate Committee on Health. He's been very active in legislation that relates to medical expansion, price transparency, uh, health professional education. Uh, and in last year, we had the pleasure of working with Senator Hernandez on very important legislation that had to do with allowing uh, health professionals, uh, nurse practitioners, optometrists, and pharmacists to take advantage of their full education and training in the practice of their, their specialty. Uh, we're real pleased to see the legislation that allowed pharmacists to do this uh, pass. Uh, we were disappointed, I think, with the senator uh, that we weren't able to achieve that with nurse practitioners, but, Senator, we're committed to work, continue to work with you in that uh, area and also with the, uh, with the optometry bill. So, it's a pleasure to have you here today, and your presence here is certainly very consistent with our commitment to address the health needs of Californians and beyond. Uh, it's a pleasure to have you talk about innovation in medicine. Thank you very much, Senator. It is a pleasure to be here. How legislation impacts health care, an update from Sacramento. So when I was asked to speak today, I was asked to kind of talk about What's going on in Sacramento? And more importantly, what's going on with health care reform in the United States of America? The role that California plays in its implementation, its effects, and you know how it all is, is occurring right now at this point. We're in a very unique time and place in history, and there's a lot of uncertainty occurring with its implementation. But what I first started, wanted to do is I first wanted to start off with... Who am I and how did I get here? The reason why I wanted to start off with this is because never in a million years did I ever imagine that I would run for public office. Um, the only thing I ever wanted to do was be a health care provider and go back to the community that I grew up in and provide health care. And the community that I grew up in was a predominantly Latino community. I wanted to serve those particular needs. We have a, currently have a private practice there as well where we see a lot of Medi-Cal patients. But it was there in the community that I really learned and understood uh, the, what, the, the role that government played on what I could and couldn't do. So, you know, I grew up in the city of La Puente, as I mentioned. And why optometry? Well, you know, I, at one point I was about 14 or 15 years old, and I started working with my uncles. Well, my uncles worked construction, and that's kind of what my family did and my grandfather and my uncles so what I learned working construction was that I didn't want to do that the rest of my life. It was an extremely tough job. So at that point in my life, my mom was the only one in our family who had a good job. She, what we considered a nice job. She went to work every day in a nice outfit and wore a white clinic coat. 
she was a receptionist for an optometrist. So I can remember talking to her and saying, Mom, you know, I, I love my uncles, but it's hard work. I want to do something different. And so she got me a job working on Saturdays, and I got to meet the optometrist. Eventually she got a job, and we're in a lab. And I kind of said, you know, this is something I think I can do. And lo and behold, uh, went to optometry school, you know, community college, eventually Cal State Fullerton. Eventually ended up at Indiana University. So here's this kid from Southern California, La Puente, California, ends up in Midwest, Indiana, where it is colder than all get up. And I met my wife there and, you know, fell in love with her. She was an optometrist student as well. I says, dear, I love you, but there's no way I'm going to spend the rest of my life in this school, in this place here. So I graduated from optometry school, came home, and we opened up our office. And then I realized very early on the role that what government did and the role that it played in family, the role that it played, obviously, in the community, what I did and, and the practice, but more importantly, how it interacted with work, how it worked, interacted with uh, my local community. But I'm going to share with you an instance what really got me interested, and I became a, you know, got involved in the political process, was back in the mid-'80s, uh, we had a budget crisis back then, and uh, Pete Wilson was governor at the time. And in our practice, about a third of our patient population, we saw Medi-Cal patients. So we used to rely on the reimbursement rate from the state of California to uh, obviously meet our overhead, pay our, our employees, the rent, etc. And then I can remember we used to receive these vouchers from the state of California. And then I said, so I took it to the bank, and I said, so what does this mean? He says, well, it's sort of like an IOU, and it means that very soon... I think in a week, we're not going to be accepting those because the state of California is not going to pay us. So it just, it really struck me. And I can remember joining my state association, and I was the one who went and, you know, complained. And, and you know, I said, look, you know, this, is, this isn't working for me, and I, I wanted to get involved. And it was that that propelled me into the political process, more so in our state association, kind of moved up to political ranks, and sure enough, that first meeting that I went there, and I was the one in the back of the room, we were in a, in a, in a, in a meeting like this, and I rose, woke, raised my hand, I was complaining, and it was at that meeting, they said, young man, if you want to make a difference, you've got to get involved in the political process, and sure enough, I, I left that meeting, I was secretary treasurer of that particular board at the time. So I learned really quick that if you volunteer, guess what they do? They put you to work. All right, now... I wanted to share that with you, and the reason why I wanted to share that with you is because in the state legislature, I've come to realize who we are as an elected body, whether it's at the local government, whether it's at the county uh, um, level, whether it's at the state level, or whether it's at the federal level. The elected individuals reflect who we are as a people. It reflects who we are in society, and there's all walks of life from the extreme left in the political spectrum to the extreme right to the middle. But there's lawyers, there's community activists, there's people who are small business owners, there's farmers. There was a dentist who no longer is there who left the legislature. There's myself, an optometrist, one physician. And as you can see, we're made up, it's an eight, uh, eight assembly members, 40 senators, 120 legislators, and we create legislation and we create um, a body of work 
And keep in mind, there's very few legislators who have any kind of health background. So what we do in the legislature, it is extremely important that individuals like yourselves, whether it's members from the California Medical Association, the Dental Association, the Optometric Association, uh, whether it's uh, leaders like yourselves who are in education, it is extremely important that you have that dialogue with the legislature because it is the legislature that's going to be determining what your fate is with regard to how we implement health care or how laws are made. And I wanted to kind of share with you my entry level of to politics, how I got elected, and how it kind of all plays and the importance of being involved in the political process. So what I've been really honored with is when I got elected to the state Senate, uh, Senate Pro Tem Daryl Steinberg allowed me to be chair of the Senate Health Committee as a freshman. And I have just feel like I'm in the absolute right time and place in history as we implement what I consider the biggest piece of healthcare legislation that we've ever seen in this country. And in doing so, uh, every year, my staff, we have a strategic plan of what we'd like to accomplish, but here's kind of the overall goals that the Senate Health Committee is looking at and what we want to accomplish, at least while I'm chair of that committee, but more importantly, while I'm serving in the legislature. Number one is the implementation of the federal health care reform. Doing more with less given the budget constraints. We're going to go into that a little bit more detail later because, as you know, health and human services, all the reductions we've had recently, I'll talk to you a little bit later on about what's going to happen in the overall budget, but there's just less money that seems to go to health and human services. The other thing that's really important to me is increasing and diversifying the health care workforce and also... Very, very important is containing health care costs, health care containment. And we'll go into those in a little bit more detail. But let's first talk a little bit about health care reform in the United States of America and how in 1965, when Medicare was signed into law by President Johnson, at that time was one of the most sweeping pieces of legislation at that point. Now, we've had other times where we've talked about it and during the Clinton administration. But what I, and then obviously when we looked in 1972 when Nixon signed the Social Security uh, Amendments Act and of course in 2010 when President Barack Obama signed the Patient Protection Affordable Care Act. But of all those things that have occurred, health care reform in this country is always and has been extremely controversial. It has always been very partisan and controversial, so much so that in 1965, when Medicare passed, there was at the House of Delegates for the American Medical Association passed a resolution that said, upon this act, physicians are, are going to boycott and not take Medicare because we don't want socialized medicine in the United States of America. Well, I would venture to say you would not find a physician now that doesn't take Medicare. And of course, when President Obama signed into law, it still was just as controversial, if not more controversial. And it was challenged. In 2012, the United States Supreme Court upheld the Patient and Protection and Affordable Care Act with a couple provisions. The provisions were that it is a tax and that each state had the option of implementing the Medicaid expansion. It wasn't mandatory. 
And then you started to see how partisan it got. A lot of the more conservative states, like Texas, chose not to expand Medicaid. California did. Louisiana chose not to expand Medicaid. And had Louisiana decided to choose uh, to expand Medicaid and draw down all of those federal dollars, 80 to 90 percent of their population would be covered. Let's talk about the successes of what's happening here in California. I believe that the success of the Affordable Care Act in the United States of America is going to be dependent on the success of what happens here in California. And in California, they have always, as in other issues, has taken a leadership role in its implementation. We were the first to have an exchange. Last year, the governor signed all of my bills that dealt with, in special session, with Medicaid expansion, which will go into detail, all of the uh, rights and privileges that everyone has in the consumers. But here's just an example of what California did. This past March, with its deadline, there was 1,395,929 individuals that signed up. This is only in covered California. That does include, doesn't include the LIP or the Medicaid expansion, which is about just roughly 1.5 to 1.6, pushing it past 3 million individuals who have never been insured in California before. And you can see in the chart how it started back when, it was, when the open enrollment started all the way up until the deadline, and it also you can see the demographic breakdown as well as where they were signed up and the individuals who have, were subsidies or and individuals like the 12% that didn't have any kind of subsidies. So the point is that California has done an, an incredible job. Now, don't get me wrong, there has still been some problems. You know, there's been a little bit of glitches on the, on the exchange and the website, the Spanish version, but nothing like the federal website, as you all remember, in January. And, of course, anything that happened negatively it was always in the press and... You know, there was the partisanship with regard, that we have in government is, would take advantage of the situation. And fortunately, our, our website and Cover California is nothing like what happened in Oregon. Oregon spent over $500,000, I believe, to not be able to sign up one individual online. They had to do everything through paper, and they chose to just scrap it completely and go to the federal website. So I'm confident that California is going to continue to move forward, and we're working with the Secretary of Health and Human Services, we're working with the administration, to make sure that the next enrollment period is going to be even better. The other great thing is that in Covered California, there are 11 health plans, and it's extremely important because it is these health plans that are going to stabilize the market, and with the numbers that we have in, the rates that, have been, uh, that are put out have actually been lower than we expected, and, we're, and our, the goal is to make sure that we can continue to have that. And there was a little bit of uh, controversy at the beginning when two of the larger health plans here in the state of California chose not to do business in, in the exchange. And there was some articles in the paper talking about it, but... The, the story was never written that those two particular plans that chose not to, 80 to 90% of the business they do was in large group. And Cover California deals with individual market and small group. And it was a business choice they made, not a political one, not to join and, and do business within Covered California. As I mentioned, my, our first priority was the implementation of the Affordable Care Act. And last year, there was some significant pieces of legislation that passed, and 
SB 703, the essential health benefit. And I can remember when uh, President Obama had, at one time, the 10 essential health benefits were going to be designed by the federal government, and those particular benefits were going to be determined what they were at the federal level. When President Obama put the onus and allow each state to make those determinations, I immediately called the pro tem and I said, look, California needs to step up. I'm going to carry this bill. We were the first state to actually define habilitative and rehabilitative services. It was signed into law, and it kind of moved things forward. As you can see with SB Special Session 1 in 2013, the Medi-Cal Eligibility Benefit Package, California again decided to take that on. And like I said, there was about 1.5 to 1.7 million Californians that are now in the Medicaid. And the biggest battle we had at that point was with the administration because he was in his mind thinking that if we have everyone in health insurance that all the safety net money that they can bring back in the general fund, but we were able to articulate to the administration that there is still going to be a huge need for the safety net population and that in the undocumented and individuals who aren't going to be signing up for health insurance. Those are going to be paid through the county, through, you know, covered or through like LA Care, et cetera. So we were able to make sure and secure enough dollars for all of the uninsured in the state of California. Obviously, another very important one is the individual market reform. And then there's some other bills that are kind of signature that occurred um, throughout the year. And again, in special session, I want to spend a little time here and talk to you about the uh, market reform uh, that we put in the statute in the state of California. And this is extremely important because no longer will there be an instance where somebody who is going to be seeking coverage in the individual or small group will ever be denied of having a pre-existing condition. There is absolutely no lifetime or annual limits. An annual maximum out-of-pocket for individuals per calendar year is going to be 63.50 per individual and 12,700 per family. And this is extremely important, and here's the reason why. In the old system, where there weren't, where there were limits, and people would want to reduce costs, they would buy what we would call junk insurance with high deductibles, and once they met that, that high deductible, let's say, God forbid, they had a catastrophic condition like cancer, where it would go in the hundreds of thousands of dollars, and they may, met their maximum limit, there's no way they can afford it. Prior to this, the number one reason for bankruptcy in the United States of America was because individuals who had health insurance, who didn't cover all the necessary um, things that they needed within those plans. And then also, the premiums can be only varied by, by only factors which are age, geography, and family size. But let's talk a little bit about age. Because in the old system, the way it was structured, there was some disparities at point times where the youngest and the healthiest person perhaps could pay, or the um, older and the more unhealthier person can pay between 18 and 19 times more higher than the younger and the most healthiest person within the particular system. And especially those individuals that are just below Medicare age that aren't going to be guaranteed that coverage Either they were, if they had a pre-existing condition that they didn't get coverage, or if they managed to be able to get a health insurance, they were sometimes priced out of the market. So in this legislation, no one is going to pay more than three times than the young than the least expensive plan, and of course, it's going to be, again based on geography. 
And the reason why geography is because California is such a huge state, it is extremely difficult to compare the price of health care in Fresno to Los Angeles or to San Francisco or to Oakland. So we've set up various regions in the state so that when you buy health insurance, you're going to be buying based on what it costs to do health to provide that health care within that specific region and, of course, family size. So an individual is going to pay less than, say, a family of four or five. Priority two, doing more with less. The budget situation has improved. The state's spending on health will continue to flatline, though, I believe. And health care spending by California uh, takes up approximately 20% of the budget. Now, with the, the way we bring in revenues to the state of California, whether it's capital gains, income tax, sales tax, property tax, we have such a volatile system in the ups and downs of the good economy compared to the bad economy. And whenever we have tough economic times, it always seems that the areas that get hit first are the ones that don't have the constitutional um, protections. Constitutional protections are like Prop 98 and K through 12, or K through 14. Uh, and even the community, even the UCs and the CSUs don't have constitutional protection. And in this last bad economic times when we had bad recession, guess what happens? Health and human services gets reduced. We had the 10% reduction in providers. We had the eliminations and evisceration of programs. The UCs were cut, you know, billions of dollars so that we needed to balance the budget. The economy's picking up. We have uh, about a $5.5 billion revenue surplus this year because of the, prop- the passage of Proposition 30. But over half of that's going to go through K-14 through because of Proposition 98 and also the amount of money that's left over. Everyone is going to want to have their, their services restored. So my concern is that health and human services is still going to have lack the resources that we're going to need. And, for example, we're going to introduce some legislation to try to restore the 10% reduction. But right now the, the fight in the legislature is between the administration and the administrator and the governor wants to take the additional revenues and, and create a rainy day fund. And in the legislature, at least in the Senate, we're saying, okay, fine, if we have additional revenues, let's pay. We have some debt that we need to pay down. We're, we have a huge debt in Kelsters, in the, in the 70 of billions of dollars. So we need to prioritize what is it that we want to do in the legislature and how does it all fit in, but more importantly, where does health care fit in? Here's kind of a graph. You can see, uh, what, 42... With K through 12, as well as uh, higher education, it's between 52 to 54 percent of the pop- of the budget. Um, you look at health; it's just 20 percent. Human services, about six percent. Uh, and I, it's it's always interesting whenever we're in tough economic times, and you always hear the pundits say, "Well, we just cut out the waste and fraud in government." And if we could only put into higher education what we put into um, Prisons and the prisoners, we spend so much more than we spend in our colleges. Well, if you look at in the correctional system, there's just what, just 9% of the entire budget of the state of California goes into corrections. The reason why it's very difficult to cut from there is because the federal government has some very strict limits of what we can and can't do. So, as you can see, the biggest part of the pie, which is the um, K through 12 is protected in the Constitution, and the other biggest part is health and human services, and that's why when there's tough times, those ones always get rated. 
Priority three, increase in diversity of workforce. When I got elected to the State Assembly in 2006 and started serving in 2007, I immediately was given a committee on workforce. We did some work through the legislature, and it became very evident. This is even pre-Affordable Care Act. Um, we have, in the state of California, a capacity issue. We have a lack of diversity, but more importantly, we don't have enough physicians to be able to service the number of patients we have. And now keep in mind, we are now having 3 million and very soon 4 million or 5 million new Californians coming in to the system. And we need to be able to solve that because we're now going to be mandated and everyone purchase health insurance, but yet we need to make sure that those individuals have access to health care. But even more interesting is only, and I think it's in a slide further, but there only one-third of the counties in the state of California meet the national average of physician-to-doctor ratio, which is recommended. And fewer and fewer physicians are going into primary care. More and more are going into specialty care. Fewer are going into the areas of greatest need, like the rural, the inner city, and more and more are going into wealthier communities. So if we're really going to solve the health care crisis, we have to look at how we're going to be dealing with the capacity. And it was mentioned in the introduction is, well, yes, in the ideal world, we should build more medical schools. And even if we were to do this today and increase the number of individuals going to medical school by 20-fold, they won't be ready for the general population for a minimum of six to eight years, depending on the residency program. And that's assuming they go into primary care, and that's assuming they go into the areas of greatest need. So long term, yes, we need to look at supporting math and science. Yes, we need to build more medical schools. And other ways, we need to look at loan forgiveness as sort of like a Peace Corps to generate individuals. But I think another way that we need to look at this is to look at getting incentives by having our residency programs in these particular areas. Now, the tough part is that most of our residency programs are going to be funded, are funded by the federal government. And guess what? Unfortunately, the federal government's cutting back. We need to figure a mechanism of how we're going to fund primary care residency programs in the areas of need, and how do we pay for that? So these are things we need to look in the long term. But in the immediate short term, obviously we're going to continue to have hearings on the solution of workforce, but we need to make better use of the provider network that we have out there right now. And as I mentioned earlier about the three bills, is we, I'm going to give you an example of the bill we ran last year for the pharmacy, optometry, and the nurse practitioner bill. The pharmacy bill was, is and is becoming the blueprint for the entire United States of America. And I've said this publicly, that pharmacists are the absolute most overtrained and underutilized healthcare providers in the country. You have pharmacists now that are graduating with or getting accepted to pharmacy school with four years of undergrad in a science, four years of a postgraduate work getting their PharmD. They're doing clinical rotations, doing direct patient contact, and they're working in integrated healthcare systems, and they're becoming providers in collaboration with physicians. We've taken the pharmacy profession and moved it so far forward and looking at them now as a provider trying to change the culture of who they are as opposed to being uh, reimbursed by dispensing a product and now getting reimbursed by their professional services, integrating them much better in the healthcare system. And if you think of pharmacists, 
There's 44,000 pharmacists in the state of California. There's a better distribution of them, and that's an immediate impact to the healthcare system. And I think nurse practitioners could have very easily taken a bigger role in that. And what I had proposed is allowing nurse practitioners to have independent practice. 17 states currently have nurse practitioners with independent practice, and there's decades of evidence showing that they're safe, effective, work in collaboration, go to rural areas, take Medi-Cal at a, at a, at a significant rate, better, good patient satisfaction. We have to look at utilizing all of our healthcare professions at the highest level, assuming numerous things are met. Number one, that there's an independent board that oversees this profession so that ultimately the patient, or there's patient protection. Number two, there's a national standard or a national board that meets the highest level. But more importantly, that those professions are able to integrate in the healthcare system. These are extremely tough and difficult political discussions because the organized medicine is usually and always very adamantly opposed to scope of practice issues. But I think that if we're going to move forward in healthcare, we have to address and we have to ask and we have to deal with those tough issues. Priority number four, healthcare cost containment. I believe California has done an incredible job in its implementation. We've done an incredible job with signing individuals up. We are working on making sure that there's access. But if we are going to be successful, we have to make sure there's cost controls. Because the consumer is going to see an insurance card. They're going to want to see a provider. But if you poll consumer after consumer, the absolute most important thing to them is they don't look at if there's a doctor to see. Yes, that's important. They want to see their, their providers and you know, they're in the list of hospitals. But the number one driving factor to them is what is it going to cost them? And in especially tough economic times. So if we don't do a good job at controlling cost, then I think the system's going to fail. And the way we're going to control cost, number one, is to have as many individuals into the system to spread risk. But this year, we're doing a series of committee hearings to look at cost containment. And we have to look at innovative ways, whether it's managed care, whether it's accountable care organization. And if you look at the Affordable Care Act in the federal level, what an ACO is, it's designed to allow individuals to or entities to meet and to be able to figure out how they're going to control costs, medical homes. And here's a series of bills we've run throughout the year uh, dealing with price transparency and how we're going to continue to work on this. Um, Okay, so that leads me to the conclusion of the uh, presentation. I always like to leave information if anybody would like to ever get a hold of me. I have information in my capital office as well as my district office. I'd be more than happy to open up to any questions. We've got to... Is there any questions here whatsoever? Yes. Hi. Thank you very much for your time today and being here. I'm Amy Nichols, UCSF Medical Center. I'm the Director of Hospital Epidemiology and Infection Control. My question to you has to do with um, Assembly Bill 2616, uh, authored by Nancy Skinner, uh, which will require that any healthcare worker who um, develops an MRSA infection that infection will become the um, responsibility of their employer. 
which of course um, uh, ha holds great right. import for us. And I'd like to hear your thoughts on on how that's going through the, the legislature. It's, if it's Skinner's bill, it's an assembly bill, so it's an AB, and each bill starts in the original House of Origin. They are currently being heard. We have deadlines. I haven't even been briefed on it because it needs to get through that original House and then come over to the opposite House. And the Senate will eventually hear it. Um, so I don't have a position on yet because I don't have all the details, but... I'm happy to counsel I, you on that. I'd be more than... <laughs> I, I, I'm, and I'm sure, I, it, knowing Skinner and knowing what it is, I'm sure it's sponsored by either Ask Me, SEIU. So I'm sure they'll give me their. their but I, I, I don't have a but position. But I'm right. Uh, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not disagreeing with you. But if you'd like, Thank I'd you. love to talk to you. See, in the, in the political world that we deal with, when somebody comes in and says, What do you think of this bill? I say, All right, well, when's up? When, when do I have to vote on it? We have so much business in front of us, I probably won't even look at it until literally the week before the hearing, and that's like months away. That's a lifetime in politics for us. So I'll be in touch with you. All right, you. thank you. <laughs> I, I forgot to mention there's two kinds of questions. There's good questions and there's bad questions. The good questions are the ones I know the answers to, and the bad questions are the ones I don't know. So don't ask any bad questions. All yes. right, I'll see you. <laughs> Uh, my name is Ken Miller. I'm uh, with uh, nursing at UCLA uh, uh, Health, Health, and um, I've had a couple medical issues, as you can see with the crutch. <laughs> I have UC care. Every time I go to the physician's office, they ask me if it's covered California, because on the card it says UCCA, and they say they don't accept it. I've been to three physicians that say they don't accept it. I heard on the radio program that there's some issues with uh, private physicians accepting the covered California. Do you see that happening? Is it similar to the boycott that people did with the Medicare? Yes. Your thoughts it, on that. It's similar. It's similar. But um, let me tell you what I think is happening and what's going to happen. All of those health plans that I mentioned that are doing business with covered California have to absolutely meet certain criteria. They have to either be uh, licensed under the Department of uh, Managed Health Care or the uh, California Department of Insurance. And they have to meet what are called network adequacy requirements, which means hospitals, providers from A through Z, and they have to meet very strict timelines as far as when you make an appointment, how you get in, distance from the patient to the, pop, to the facility, et cetera. So they're not going to get the contract unless they have a adequate networks. Now, what Covered California has done, in anticipation of not knowing how many um, providers they're going to need at first, is they've tried to narrow the networks to keep control down. Because if, let's say, you have a, a smaller network of providers, they can offer them more patients. Therefore, they can get, obviously, more revenue. But what's going to happen as the market increases, they have to meet those network adequacies. And they're going to bring on more providers. They have to. Now, I will be honest with you. We live in a society where it's a for-profit system. No one is required to take any insurance, and there are physicians who are boycotting covered California and not taking it. But let me tell you, this is the law of the United States of America, and you, this conversation, like we had in the 60s, will be one of the, of, of the past. I cannot imagine that physicians who are going to want to do business in the United States of America aren't going to want to take either Medicare, maybe not Medi-Cal because of the poor reimbursement rates,
but covered California in the open market is going to pay fairly well. So you are going to see the natural market forces kick in, and you're going to see these kind of conversations less and less. So that was a good question. I really appreciate the time that you allow me to spend with you this afternoon. You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.